Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. With Galatians chapter 5, and starting with verse 22, words you are, I know, familiar with. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. It has been pointed out to me, and I'm sure sure you've heard this, if not from me, from others. It's the fruit, not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a buffet. You don't say, I'll take an apple, and I'll take the grapes, and I'll skip the cantaloupe, because that's gross. You don't get to say that. You don't get, this is not a pick and choose. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is what you have in your life if the Holy Spirit is in your life and changing you and transforming you. And, and you don't get to leave some of those out. Now, we're actually in John chapter 15 today, if you will. We've been looking at God's love shown to us throughout the book of John. Definitely the gospel that emphasizes that subject. It's how We've been looking at how that love unites us as a church But that discussion only goes so far until we hit something that may divide us. Um, It is either academic, and it's just head discussion, just stuff to bandy about, or it changes us. It calls us, the love of God calls us to follow God. And we've said before, following is not an academic exercise, something that you do, at some point the discussion of following God has to have, you have to have a conversation of obedience or it's just academic. And, And frankly, I think the problem of the church of the 21st century is there's a whale of a lot of academic Christians out there, everywhere, that for them Christianity is like a philosophy, but not a lifestyle, not a, like, like, well, like, like philosophy, like economics, you, what are the, there's Keynesian economics and there's all these other philosophy like Rene Descartes' Cartesian worldview. And there's all you know, Plato and Socrates and Aristotle and uh, Hippocrates. And I don't know, I start making up names with E's on the end of it. And there's all these, I mean, people talk about, the, I don't really know the difference between Plato and Aristotle. Sorry, I, 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 I'm read, but I'm not that well read. And I know that these guys existed, um, but... But does Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, do those guys make a difference in how I live my life? And the answer is not really. You know, I might accidentally think that one is right more than the other, but not because I read them and went, oh, this guy's right and this guy's wrong. No, the difference is that I'm already doing what I'm going to do. And then when I read these three guys, I might figure out, I think I like this guy more than the other two because I'm already doing this. Our faith needs to change us. Or it's just academic. And so with that said... John chapter 15. 
Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So what does it mean to remain in Christ? Well, okay, so we can say, well, to remain in Christ is to be faithful. Great, what a wonderful Sunday school answer. What does that mean? What, what does it mean to be faithful? Practically speaking, what does it mean to, be, to remain in Christ? To believe in God? To believe that Jesus is the Son of God? No. Demons believe that. James chapter 2 is very clear on that. Satan believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He's not saved. So it's got to be more than believing in Jesus as the Son of God. So if it's not belief, what does it mean? It's a covenant relationship. Now, a covenant is a special kind of a relationship, okay? Love, God's love for us is unconditional. But a covenant relationship has conditions. The benefits of the love are conditional. So, the biggest example is marriage. Marriage is a covenant relationship. Uh, There are terms to marriage, right? Fidelity, affection, protection. If one side does not uphold the covenant, well, they're probably heading for a divorce. No marriage should put up with everything. Relations have limits. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the covenant. That's the contract. For, you know, uh, and, here, and we're not talking, you know, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor. We're not talking about money. We're not talking about sickness. What we're talking about is once I, once I married Pamela, there was no more dating other women. <laughs> there hadn't been for many years while we were, while we were dating. We, we, but that very much is, is, is the case. There's, there's no dating other women. There's, uh, there's, there's no, you know, I, I try, the women in the church who've met with me, I try, prefer to like meet at Tip Top or meet with, if there's women, uh, meet, meet at a, a Del Monte or something like that. And I asked the elders, I'd like a window on my door because it helps keep me accountable. Now, I'm pretty sure that as messy as I've been lately when I got sick, they regret that dramatically. And I apologize for that because now everybody sees the mess in my office. Um, but it helps keep me accountable for, for that accountability be, because a covenant relationship has terms. And I want to stay within those boundaries. And, and so you're going to say, Jason, are you saying that God's love has limits? No, not as love. But the covenant has bound, his covenant has boundaries. Break the covenant and you risk breaking the covenant relationship just like a marriage. God's love is unconditional, but his salvation is conditional. And a lot of people misunderstand that in a day of cheap grace. A lot of people want to ascribe to God unconditional salvation. That's just not even remotely biblical. Wishful thinking. The only people that truly believe that are the Unitarian Universalists who believe that nobody's going to hell and everybody's going to go to heaven because God is just that much loving. And in doing that, you take away completely God's holiness. 
He is loving and He is holy. Loving, He wants everybody to go to heaven. Holy, you have to be set apart to Him. You have to do things His way or you're not going to heaven. That's what a covenant relationship is, and people misunderstand that. What I read, what I just read, is that branches that bear no fruit get cut off. There are terms to our relationship. We have a call to remain in Christ. We need to become Christ-like. It's not an option. If we're not, Jesus says we will be cut off. Church attendance is not a relationship. Tithing is not a relationship. I think they help, but that would be like saying, well, my wife should really appreciate me because after work I go home and I buy groceries. That's all the relationship needs, right? I I, I pay for the groceries, there's my tithing, and I go home after work. That's, That's a successful relationship, right? No. No, that's not, that's not loving. That's not real. Marriage is about more than coming home and paying for the groceries. And a relationship with God is more than attendance, putting money in the offering plate. They held. <laughs> There'd be a problem if I didn't come home. There'd be a problem if I didn't provide for my family. But that's not the conclusion. That's just a basic starting point. They encourage true growth. I... To remain in a relationship with Christ is to daily strive to be like Christ. That's a condition of my salvation, that I remain in Christ, which is not church attendance, or thinking that there is a Jesus. We have a call to remain in Christ. Let's keep reading. What else does Jesus say? I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. We have a call to remain in this word. Honestly, there's a, the, universalism, the idea that everybody's going to go to heaven, makes no sense based upon what the Bible says, right? But the other thing that makes no sense based upon the, what the Bible says is once saved, always saved. Because why are we talking about remaining in Christ if you can't leave? But Jesus is very clear. You need to remain in Jesus or you're going to get thrown in the fire. And I think that's a pretty blunt a blunt analogy. What does it mean to be obedient to Christ? It means, to use our, our, our imagery that Jesus is using, that his words take root and grow in us. His teachings must live in us. If they're not there, we're like branches cast, cut off and cast into the fire. We must be faithful to the words of Christ. This is what it means to be a Christian. We can't read the Bible, see the way of Jesus, and then say, knowing that this is what God wants from me, I'm going to do something different. Now, some people try to get around that by saying, well, then I won't read the Bible. Ignorance is bliss. Not in this case. We don't get that as an excuse. 
if the only time that you crack your Bible is on a Sunday, and, and some don't even do that, but that's one of the, we put them on the screen so that there's no excuse not to see them. If the only time we crack our Bible is on a Sunday, then we're going to struggle to get to know the words of Jesus, and then we're going to struggle to follow the, the words of Jesus. There was, when I was in high school in Salem, Illinois, my best friend, Alan, um, his parents had been missionaries in Africa. And I, I loved his parents, Mac and Joyce. And in the summers, I think I was probably at their house more than I was my parents. Eventually, I had a key. Um, would head into the garage. Head down, Mac was in a wheelchair. Head downstairs, because he couldn't use his computer anymore. And Alan went off to college. I was a couple of years younger. That was my computer. Played video games on his computer. There was a game that had just come out called Civilization, where you 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 played like the ancient Egyptians or the ancient Greeks, and you built up this civilization. And Mac got this book, this, this manual on how to play the game better. I know, that sounds nerdy to, to read. A, he liked the game, too. To read this book on how to play the game. And it had amazing little tricks on, on, on how to kind of play the game better. And, and, I, and I've bought... I don't, I don't even own the game, but I liked the book so much. I own the book. I own a book. I own a manual for a game that I don't own. Um, I. Why would I bother reading this this giant book, Rome, on six hundred and forty k a day? <laughs> why Why would I read this game manual? Because it mattered to me. Because it was a fun game, and I enjoyed. It brought me joy, and and the game book mattered, and. And this is so much more important than a game. Why wouldn't I take this seriously and put some time into it? His word needs to dwell in me. How can I be guided by his word if I never consult it? We must grow in spirituality. We might, growing in numbers is good, but we don't be, we're not, if, if the numbers of the church increase, that doesn't make you a better person or closer to God even if the church's numbers are growing, you as an individual need to grow closer to God. We cannot be consumer Christians, and we'll put that in air quotes. We cannot be consumer Christians who are only interested in themselves with no relationship. Consumer Christians come to all the church meals, but they don't come to Bible study or Sunday school or, or church. Consumer Christians are quick to call the prayer chain every time that they're in need. That doesn't mean you're going to see them on a Sunday morning. Consumer Christians love to keep the attention on themselves. They don't really want to focus on God. They just want everybody focused on them. They want God there for them, but they don't want to do anything for Him. They, they love that cheap grace. I accepted Jesus into my heart. They say, I'm going to heaven. But that doesn't mean that they're following Him or obeying Him. Such a, such a cheap God is a candy bar God. He's not good for you, but he does give you a boost of energy and make you feel good for a little bit. God has to be more than that. Unless his words are a part of us, we have no part of him. Jesus' words. Either that's a true statement or it isn't. And so we keep reading in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, 
love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Again and again, John reiterates the words of Christ, If you love me, you will obey me. But here we see the greatest example of what Jesus expects out of obedience. The number one thing he wants for us is to love others as well. Not, not just easy love, not just the kind of love that tosses a quarter, spare quarter in your pocket that you forgot about to a homeless person. Not, not just the kind of love that likes somebody, but a love that sacrifices for others. Even, Jesus says, to the point of one's own life. That's serious love. And no, it, it doesn't come naturally, not at all. It's not human. That's, that goes against human nature. So then, if it goes against our human nature, and it does, we were, my Sunday school class, uh, I had a great turnout today. All the parents that brought their kids, thank you. I had, I had six kids, and I'm like, it'd be nice to get boys. I like having... I like having the girls. Love to get boys as well. But six girls in class. And we're talking because at some point this conversation has to come up with church. You know, one of the, a while back one of the girls asked, why are there no women preachers in your church? So we're having the discussion, the role of women in ministry, and looking at different churches as well as our church and having this as, as a serious discussion. And I asked what... What makes guys, and, uh, other than physical body, let's skip that part, what makes guys and girls different? And I deeply appreciate right out of the gate, one of the girls yelled out, guys are selfish. Thought about that a bit. She's not, to the modern guy, a lot of my friends would rather play video games than go to work. A lot of my, uh, you know what, they're not, she may not be entirely wrong. Um, I, I think, there is a lot, I, I think a lot of, I think it doesn't, I think human nature is selfish. But, uh, how, so how do we, be, how do we overcome that? How do we overcome the human nature to be solely focused on ourselves? Um, now, let me be clear, I also think women can be selfish too. Let me do I think humans are selfish. How do we overcome that? How do we, how do we get to the point where we are willing to sacrifice for others? How are we, how are we, the, we are transformed by the word of Christ. As we dig deeper and take this to heart, and by take this to heart, I mean try to follow it, not just read it academically like Socrates or Plato, but as we actually dig into it and say, this is what it says, I'm going to try this, we will become more Christ-like. But here's the best bit. Jesus doesn't say, do this and I will love you. He already loves us anyway. Even when we don't do this, He loves us unconditionally. What He says is that if we love Him, bit by bit, this is what we will turn into. Uh, As we follow the Holy Spirit, the Spirit will transform us. The church 
must show the love of God, not because that earns us salvation, but because quite simply we're not the church if we're not showing the love, because that's the definition of the church. It doesn't earn us salvation. It's what it means to be saved. We dare not put the cart before the horse. Salvation is useless if I remain broken. We get a lot of requests for... These are tough times. We get a lot of people that call the church and request for for money. That happens. And and, and One of the questions that I ask that offends a lot of people is I start to ask some details because, because, not my first rodeo, and I learned this from my previous church, there was a young man that came to the church and he was in financial need and the elder said, we'd like to sit down with you and talk with you about your budget. And he was willing to do that and we sat down with this young man we figured out what his expenses were and what his, uh, how much he made. And we said, you're going to need help every single month. Your expenses exceed your income. Any help that we give you is really temporary. What you need is a lifestyle change, which is when he told us to mind our own business. And so we didn't help him because, because what he needed was not money, right? What he needed was a solution to his financial problems. His expenses needed to be less than his income. And, that, and I would say that four out of five people, when they, when they call the church and ask for some help, don't, do not like the, the direction of my questions. Because we, I've had the same people come week after week after week, sometimes to the door. They, they get into a habit asking for help. And, and, and what they want is cheap grace. What they want is just give me some money and I'll ask this church for money next week. And I'm not saying that there aren't legitimate needs. And I'm not saying that there aren't people that have real needs. But that, you know the proverb, give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Teach a man to fish, he'll, he'll eat for life. On a spiritual level, salvation is useless if I remain broken. What, what, good, is, what good is salvation if I'm still the horrible person I was before God saved me? I want to live anew. I want to be saved from being me. That's what I'm... I'm being saved from being a sinful person. Bringing sinful me, broken, ugly, sinful, selfish me up to heaven just ruins it for everybody else. I want to be transformed. I want to be Christ-like. That's what the call is. I cannot be saved and be mean and spiteful and petty because that's not what salvation is. I need to be saved from my nature. I need a new nature. I need to be Christ-like. That's why I need to be loving, first and foremost. First thing Jesus says, obey me. Let's start with be a loving person. Because being loving is a sign that I'm being transformed. All right, I want to all but finish up the chapter here. Verse 18, if the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world, and that's why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. A lot of people think they can dodge that. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. 
He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. We are called to remain in holiness. So I had a friend uh, back, back when I was dating Pamela. I had, I had a friend. Her name, is, her name is Terry. She's still my friend. Um, I had a radio show from midnight to 2 a.m. Monday morning. That was tough to go to work the next day uh, in, in Champaign. She would sometimes come to the radio station and hang out. We'd go out for coffee afterwards. Um, at the time, she was a smoker. I, I haven't asked her. I hope she's given that up. I got on her one day. I said, you know, those are, they, they say those cigarettes will take away like, every cigarette's like five minutes off, off your life. And her snarky reply was, yeah, but those are the five minutes in, in the nursing home that I don't want. It's a snarky reply, but it doesn't work that way, right? It doesn't work that way. We, we, we know that smoking, it, it may not, it, not only may it shorten your life, you risk a terrible risk of lung cancer, COPD, emphysema, all these terrible things. If you smoke, you should really, really, really try to quit. It's just not healthy. And it doesn't just take off five minutes per cigarette from a nursing home. It's not how that works. I, I think at the end of the day, the problem is that so many Christians want their cake and to eat it too, which never made sense until somebody finds yeah, that I can't both have it and eat it. I, I can't save it. For, if I eat it now, I don't have it. That, I don't know why, but that took me forever to figure out what that phrase meant. Don't you eat a cake that you have? Otherwise, it's stolen. No, that's not what it means. People want to be saved but only when they've exhausted what this world has to offer. Jesus says that he has pulled us from this world, and a lot of people don't want to be rescued from this world. They're still having fun. It's not until they have lived their lives the way they want that Christ can have those leftover five minutes in the nursing home that they don't want anymore. That's what a lot of the world thinks. The bits of our lives that we don't want, people resent the call to holiness now while I'm healthy and while I'm fit and, 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 and when I could be doing other things. And this is an epidemic. And it's an epidemic, let me say, in our churches. What do we do when the church doesn't even live up to the basics of the church? I, I remember, so my previous church, we had a guy named Claude. And Claude, when he retired from being elders and said to the gang, I don't think I can be an elder anymore. And we sat down to do the math on how long he'd been an elder. It was 60 years, which is a really long time really long time. And, I, and when the other elders told me that, I said, how old was he when he became an elder? And there were, there were a few people in church even older than Claude, and they said, well, he became an elder at about 25. And I said, was he ready? They said, oh, he was very ready. He was at Sunday, he'd been teaching Sunday school since he was 15. Um, he knew the Bible better than almost anybody in the church at that age. Um, people came to him for, for advice. They looked to him for leadership. He was a, he was a fantastic young man. He served as an elder till he was 80, 85. And then that led to a discussion. Why don't we see that anymore? Because I saw other churches, I knew other churches that had men who had been elders since their late 20s, 30s. And, and they were ready. It wasn't that the church was throwing people into the role before they were ready. They, they had a lot of people to choose from and they picked the best. But they had young men that had devoted their lives to be spiritual leaders and to be ready. And so then that led to a discussion, not just why, why doesn't the church at large have, 
have men that are qualified, young men qualified to be elders. The discussion moved towards, why don't we have anybody in our church qualified? Why, why is it that the batch that we had at that time is the only ones we have? I made, I made the joke that the elders were just horrified. I thought I was joking. I said, because we, we would drive to church events at different churches together. And I made the joke once. I said, you know, if we get into a car wreck, there's no elders at our church. And there's nobody qualified. And I didn't mean that to be as hor- but they were horrified. Which, which did lead to a wonderful discussion on mentoring. It's why I think mentoring is a huge deal. Because all of those elders had had someone in their life guide them up. Which is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And I think mentoring is something I'm afraid to say that we've kind of forgot how to do. The problem we had there, whether or not this hits here or not for anybody or any other church out there, the problem that we realized at our previous church was we had a, we had a, we had a choice. If, if there was a need for, for more elders, do we either A, lower the bar, I don't think that helps the church, or do we keep the bar where it is and have no elders? That was a struggle that we had, and it's a struggle not of that church. I think it's a struggle of the church, at least in America in 2023, that we have people who come to church see their job as audience, not servants, not, not growing, see that leadership is someone else's job, service, ministry is someone else's job, but if 100% of the people say that, we have a problem. I think the call is to bring the bar back to where it belongs. I think the call is not to settle for second best. I think, I think we settle for good enough, and God gets the leftovers, I think we've settled for that too often. I, I think, take it one step further, I think we treat salvation, baptism, the church as an inalienable right. They're privileges. A covenant relationship is a privilege. You remember Alan Alda? You guys remember him from MASH, but Frontier. He had a, he had a show called Frontier. And they did an experiment with kids. This was a good kind of experiment. They gave the kids an endless supply of goldfish crackers. And they discovered what I have always known. They're not that good. Goldfish crackers are not, I mean, even the little kids. But, but once, you, once you outgrow being a toddler and you can pick your own food, you're not picking gold. They're not that amazing. And the kids didn't eat very many. So then they changed it. And the goldfish crackers became a reward. And suddenly the kids wanted the goldfish crackers. Because that's how the human brain works. Maybe if we looked at the church as a reward, as a privilege, that membership and, 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 and involvement in the church is a reward for exemplary service. And I, and I, and I mean by exemplary service, literally that. Uh, let us set as an example to others of what it means to serve the kingdom of God. That if we treated the church as a reward and not a chore can't help but wonder if if we would be healthier and and, and i'll come at this with with a couple of different examples i I know of churches i've heard of churches know of a few that do you can't join until there's an interview process and you agree what your service will be for the church and i've known of churches that two days a week you will serve in the church i don't know Whatever, whether it's clean, it's not the, cleaning toilets or serving in the soup kitchen or whatever, you will serve in the, sorry, two days a month. You will serve in the church two days a month minimally or you can't be a member. These churches have a waiting list. 
because they've made it very clear that membership is a privilege. Now, there's a Rob Bell, and Andrew and I have read Rob Bell. I let me let me. He's, he was a preacher at a church. There's a preacher named Rob Bell. Let me begin with. I don't like a lot of his theology. I'm not even sure he's a preacher anymore. Um, <coughs> so I'm not saying go out and read his books. But he did something very interesting. He founded a church, um, Seattle. Is that where? Mars Hill is in Michigan, Michigan, Grand Rapids, right. Um, started a church, built a building, and the construction guys said, where are we putting up the advert? You know, we're going to put a name. He said, no name on, the, on it. They said, well, how will people know that it's a church? He said, they won't. Throwing out advertising? No. Well, how are you going to advertise this church? We're not. We're gonna, it's a secret. Yeah, none of, those, none of those construction guys could keep the secret. And everybody else told everybody else because it kind of felt like this is our little secret and this is something fun and this is, you know, and I'm not saying it was just a gimmick. If you've got something good going on, people will talk about it. Marcel had a very good attendance. Um, if people treat something, if people recognize that something is a privilege, it was a privilege to know about the Mars Hill Church, uh, then people will want to join and they will hunt it down. And so maybe there's something to be said about Instead of the church acting like, oh, please come to church, we're begging you, we, we just need a few more people. Maybe if we treated the king, not just in this building, but in our own lives, that the chance to have a covenant relationship with God is a privilege. Maybe we would be healthier, maybe our church would be healthier. Here's my point, holiness, which of course, again, holiness means to be separated to God. Holiness is a privilege that God has given us. It's not a chore, it's not a task. God blesses us through that separation of holiness. But, but he's not going to fight us. He's not going to fight against us. You know, so many times, you know, I, Wednesday nights when the kids start to talk over me, I just stop talking. I'm not going to fight them. If they want to spend the entire half hour chatting and arguing with each other, wasted trip on their part to come here on a Wednesday night. If God, God's the, God doesn't fight us, he waits till we're ready to follow him. Our hymn of decision today is hymn number 156. Um, so, bad news. Following God is not easy. It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come through osmosis. You don't inherit it from your parents. It doesn't, doesn't seep into the pores while you sit in a church building. And you won't grow closer to Him as you get older. It's not something that you just automatically mature into. It takes obedience. And obedience is more than sitting in a pew. It is growing closer to the one who died for us. But when we get to know God and when we get to know his son Jesus, it's, I think it's fun and I think it's a joy. And there is a difference between joy and happiness, right? Happiness comes and goes. You can, when, when Calypso broke her arm twice this year and we were in the hospital, um, that wasn't fun. But joy was knowing there's a peace. We'll get through this. God's in control. It'll be, it'll be okay. We're still together as a family, right? Joy is knowing that Jesus died for me, and when I follow him, all is well. And, I'm not, and following him does not mean I'm saved on my results. Just my desire to walk closer with him. Uh, that's joy. If you haven't decided to be obedient to the Lord and to follow him, I'd like to talk with you today about that. 
Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.